Section 12 of The Rural Magazine and Literary Evening Fireside, Volume 1, Number 2. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Rural Magazine and Literary Evening Fireside, Volume 1, Number 2, by Various. Mr. Nicholson's Prize Essay Continued, Part 2 When we speak of gravelly lands, we do not mean to include those which are, properly speaking, gravelly loams, for soils of this description are generally well fitted for the rotation first mentioned. By gravelly lands, we mean those where gravel is mostly predominant, as we call those lands sandy where silex forms the greatest proportion of the soil, and of these something is now to be said. As a specimen of what may be called light sandy lands, we will refer to much of those lying between Albany and Schenectady. These, like the gravelly lands just mentioned, are not, in their natural state, calculated for the production of many different crops in perfection, nor indeed for any without manure. With the aid of gypsum alone, however, good crops of peas and of buckwheat may be had on most of these lands, tolerable of red clover, and on the lay of clover turned under, middling crops of rye may be had. Probably, with this manure, valuable crops of pumpkins might be raised on them. Lands of this description have, however, very essential properties, which gravelly lands do not possess. They are much easier cultivated than the hard soils, and, in proportion to their natural fertility, no lands are better adapted for root crops of almost every sort, or for the grasses whose roots extend deep into the earth, among which are clover of different kinds, St. Foyne, Lucerne, etc., such lands are least adapted for crops of wheat and Indian corn, but when sufficiently manured with clay, or upland marl, which is better, they will yield tolerable crops of the latter, and also of the former, when raised on a lay of red clover. Where little else than the contents of the barnyard and gypsum can be had for manuring sandy lands of the above description, the common turnip and rutabaga culture would not, perhaps, be advisable, but the rotation should be something like the following. First year, potatoes and pumpkins in alternate drills, manured and treated as before described. Second, peas, soaked in a solution before mentioned and rolled in gypsum before sowing, with a top dressing of that manure. Third, buckwheat, treated in the same manner, and clover seeds sown with the crop, third and fourth, clover, with a top dressing of gypsum each spring, fifth, rye, on the clover turned under, as before described, which completes the course. But where upland marl, or even clay, can be had, for the purpose of forming compost manures with the barn dung and the addition of some lime, as is described under manures, etc., we should advise to the rotation first described, or something similar, in which the root crops should form a prominent part, and in such case, let the manure be plentifully applied to the drilled crops, 
At first, perhaps, some of the crops would not be so abundant, but under this management the soil would be constantly improving, and of course the crops increasing. At first, perhaps, rye should be substituted for the wheat crop, but each addition to the soil of the caluminous and calcareous matter, of which the compost is principally composed, would render the land better adapted for grain crops of every description. It is a matter of the first importance to the cultivator to possess an adequate knowledge of the different substances which may be used with advantage for fertilizing his land, of the different soils to which such substances are best adapted, of the proper quantities to be used, and of the most advantageous time and manner of their application. There is but little even of the richest earth that will not become exhausted with constant cropping without manure, and soils are seldom so sterile, but that with a proper application of suitable manures to them, they may be made the residence of plenty. Manures are of different kinds, of animal, of vegetable, of fossil, and of mixed, of each of which notice will be taken in their order. The flesh of animals is an excellent manure for all soils, and is used to a considerable extent on the seacoast, where fish are caught in plenty. It is believed that flesh is used to most advantage in composts, and the same may be observed with more certainty in regard to the use of the blood. The shavings of the horny substances of animals have very desirable effects as a manure, in dry soil, by enduing such with a greater power to retain moisture, and the same may also be observed of the hair and wool. The bones, when calcined, are also valuable, as they are principally phosphate of lime. The miasma, produced by the putrefaction of the flesh and blood of animals, is also food for plants, or at least its presence assists their growth. The urine is a fertilizer principally by reason of the salt it contains and probably also by its producing miasma. When animals die, it is usual to let them lie above ground, to the annoyance of the public, but if covered with earth, this together with the flesh, etc., of the animal, would be converted into good manure. Of vegetable substances, it may be generally observed that almost every sort of vegetable, not of woody texture, buried in the soil while green, is more or less efficacious as a manure, and that many sorts of these, when turned under where they grew, and while in a green state, will add much more fertility to the soil than their growth extracted from it. But that same growth, when suffered to ripen on the ground, and then turned under, after the exhaustion of its juices, will not generally repay the soil the nutriment it extracted from it while growing. It would seem that the ripening of plants is the principal cause of the exhaustion of soils, and, for this reason, green dressings, that is, plowing of green crops under, has been found advantageous in enriching lands. Where green dressings are resorted to as manure, such growth should be selected for the purpose as are cheap in the article of seed, and at the same time quick and bulky in their growth. Buckwheat 
has been much used for the purpose, though perhaps some other plants should be preferred. The growth should be turned under when in blossom, and, in order that this be done effectually, it should be laid prostrate by running the roller over it, in the same direction in which the plough is to follow, after which the ground should not be stirred again till this manure has sufficiently rotted. Generally, we think it be most advisable to sow on the lay or furrow, by which the green crop is turned under. There may be some instances where manuring with green dressings may be advisable, particularly where it could be done without preventing the growth of any intervening crop. Where this is not practicable, we should hardly advise to this method of manuring, unless in cases where other manures were not to be obtained. One case we will, however, mention, where a green dressing might be given to advantage. Suppose, for instance, a crop of rye, oats, or barley, harvested, and the ground cleared of the crop by the 20th of July. In that case, let the stubble be immediately turned under, and the ground harrowed in with buckwheat. By the 20th of September, this growth would be fit to be turned under, when a crop of wheat might be sown on the lay. It should be understood that rye is one of the best crops to precede a crop of wheat, or to follow it. In the same manner, therefore, the crop for a green dressing may be raised in the wheat stubble turned under, and the green crop turned under for a crop of rye. But the contents of the barnyard and the excrements of cattle are the principal sources of manure of the vegetable kind, and of these it is necessary to treat particularly, as well of the qualities of the different sorts, as of their most advantageous applications to soils. The sorts of dung or excrement to be noticed are those of horses, neat cattle, sheep, and swine. The dung of swine is most valuable, where properly applied. That of sheep is the next. That of cows ranges in the third degree, and that of horses in the fourth. The dung of the latter, if suffered to lie in a heap till it becomes thoroughly heated, assumes a white or moldy color and is then of but little value. It is of a warm nature, and is best adapted for being well buried in moist or clayey soils. Cow dung, on the contrary, is most suitable for dry soils. Sheep dung answers best on the soils for which that of horses is best suited, but is very valuable for almost any soil. Hog dung should only be applied to dry, arable lands and is most powerful in those of a sandy or gravelly nature. Dung, of all sorts, loses much of its valuable qualities by exposure to frequent rains, particularly when lying at but little depth over a considerable surface. Its good qualities are best preserved by lying in large heaps, and if under cover so much the better. The stercorary is the most effectual method for preserving barn dung, and it is believed that every farmer will find his money well expended in the erection of this receptacle for the contents of that part of his barnyard, which is not used in the spring. The stercorary may serve for a sheepfold during winter, and will thus answer a twofold purpose. It may be, for instance, 
forty feet in length, sixteen in breadth, and of suitable height. The floor is to be made of a layer of clay, with the surface smoothly paved with small stones, and highest in the middle, so that the juices of the dung may run off to the sides, where a gutter receives this liquid and carried it into a reservoir, sunk at one end, into which a pump is to be fixed to raise the liquid and throw it back over the heap. The floor, gutter, and reservoir are on a plan similar to those of a cider press. The liquid that runs from the heap is most valuable part, and should never be lost. This plan is therefore calculated to preserve it, and, for the purpose of absorbing the whole of it, any dry vegetable matter or rich earth may be laid over the heap, and this liquid thrown on that, which will serve to convert the whole into good manure. The juices and the soluble and gaseous parts of the excrements of cattle, together with the stale, are what principally affords nutriment for growing plants, and every means by which these can be saved, by their being absorbed in other substances, of rich earthy or vegetable matter, would seem to be well worthy of attention. We will next designate what is usually considered the methods most proper for the application of dung. Where lands are in grasses of the fibrous-rooted kinds, it is the generally received opinion of the best cultivators that barn dung, as well as every other kind, should be applied as a top dressing, that is, by spreading it on the surface, but that for tap-rooted grasses, or those whose roots extend deeply, as well as for all grain and root crops, this manure should be buried in the soil, at such depths as are best suited to the nature of the roots of the plants to be cultivated. The operation of barn dung, and of all vegetable and animal substances used in manure, seems to be this. If laid at a certain depth beneath the surface of the soil, in the progress of their decomposition their soluble parts pass into the form of gas or vapor and of course rise to the surface, and in their ascent are more or less absorbed by the roots of the plants. On the contrary, if these manures be laid on the surface, these soluble parts and the progress of decomposition never become aeriform, but are washed downwards in their liquid state, where they are in like manner absorbed by the roots of the plants. This is probably as correct an explanation as can be given of the effect of these manures. It is well known that ground long used as a graveyard becomes very fertile, notwithstanding the substances which are the cause of such fertility, are laid at a very great depth. It has been held by some English writers that barn dung should be well rotted previous to its avocation as manure, but this opinion is rejected by Sir Humphrey Davy one of the most scientific agriculturists of Great Britain, and also by Arthur Young, Squire. Mr. Davy contends that this manure may in most instances be as well applied fresh as in any other way, by its being laid at a proper depth beneath the surface, and that in scarcely any instance it is advisable that it should undergo more than the first stage of decomposition before it is used. When well rotted, it is, however, more efficacious 
for a single crop, but its use is of much shorter duration. It seems also to be generally agreed that using this manure for drill crops, burying it at a good depth, and raising the plants over the dung thus buried, is the best possible way in which it can be used. We lately saw an account published of upwards of 100 bushels of Indian corn to the acre being raised by this mode of culture. The success of Mr. Cobbett and others in raising great crops of rutabaga by this method of using this manure seems to demonstrate its utility. If evidence was wanting further than what appears in English publications on the subject, the plan that we would therefore recommend is to apply the fresh barn dung to all drill crops which are to be put in the ground in the spring, and for these we refer to what has been said under rotation of crops. The shortest dung should be used for these purposes, except for potatoes, and it should, as far as practicable, be applied to the soils best adapted for each kind of dung, as has before been mentioned. The longer or more strawy parts of the dung we should advise to be laid in the circuary, if this building has been provided, or else somewhere under cover, or if no cover can be afforded, let it be thrown into a heap about three or four feet high, and whenever it be laid, let it be stirred up from the bottom in the course of about five or six weeks after it has thus been heaped or otherwise stored away after which it will soon be found well fitted for being used for the crop of rutabaga. It is also advisable to cover the heap with a layer of good earth, which will serve to absorb and retain much of the steam or gaseous matter that rises from the heap, and when saturated with this, and mixed with the mass of dung, will be found a valuable addition. To be continued. End of section 12